Good morning. How many of you love Jesus this morning? Say amen. Man, I'm so excited for God's life-giving power and presence in this place. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. We welcome you today. My name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Victory. We're grateful to have you with us. There are a lot of wonderful churches in West Memphis and Marion that you could have chosen to show up at and worship with, and we are honored that you've come today to sit down in the presence of the Lord with us this morning. We're so grateful to have you. Happy New Year! I'm excited today to bring you uh, some amazing news. Our board of trustees met at First Community Bank this week and signed on our construction loan for our church. It is official. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Amen. Amen. Uh, we had uh, been hung up a little bit in trying to get medical records from about three different physicians in order to obtain a term life policy for me. The bank required that, holding it in the collateral box uh, for a million dollars so that if something happened to me, then uh, they could at least get paid that much in, our, in the transition the church would have in terms of uh, recognizing a new pastor. And God forbid that happens. I'm uh, by the will of the Lord. James tells us that, uh, that we're never to boast about tomorrow, but we're to live in the present with tomorrow in light. In light of tomorrow, we live, in, we live today. But uh, if it be the will of the Lord, Granddad used to say, Granddad Blake used to say, Lord willing, the creek don't rise. I never did find that creek. I didn't, there wasn't one around the house, but... He would always say, Lord willing, then the creek don't rise, then we'll do such and such next week or whatever. And it was kind of an old practice of an old Pentecostal Church of God deacon. It's my grandfather in the Mark Tree Church of God. And so I, I grew up with a lot of that. Did I get an amen over there from Mark Tree? Somebody from Mark Tree? Come on, Mark Tree. Yeah, a lot of my, a lot of my roots and folks and all that back over there around Mark Tree in Truman, Arkansas. Um, just, uh, I would ask you to pray for me. It has been a difficult week since, outside of the excitement of signing for our new construction loan, $3.4 million, looking to get the ground broken in February. Met with Flint Co. on Thursday. Um, they are resubmitting everything to all the subcontractors because the prices that they had for our current estimate were from July, and it took that long We've been dancing and going through hoops um, because of I, I changed physicians after Dawn passed. I just couldn't go back to the one that I'd seen for 20 years. And uh, I don't have time to explain the story. If you're new, somebody will tell you about it. Um, but Dr. Aaron Mitchell is my new doctor. I've been to him a couple times. He's prayed for me in the office both times. I love Dr. Mitchell, great man of God, and um, just really feels like he's called to, to be an uh, internal medicine doctor. And so... Grateful for all that he's done because we had to actually connect with two or three physicians to get all of my medical records together to be able to get that approved. So back to my prayer requests for you, if you would. After all the kids left, we had a remarkable Christmas, uh, I called to check on Dodgy. Uh, somebody goes, Dodgy, what kind of name is that? Well, that's been my mother-in-law's name for 28 of the 30 years of my son's life. Drew will be 30 this month. And uh, from about the time he was probably 15 months old, he couldn't say Ma Jean. And so Ma Jean became Dodgy. And Dodgy has been Dodgy all of our lives for the last 28 years. And so I called to check on Dodgy, and she was wheezing really, really badly. She's 84. This was Dawn's mom. Dawn was an only child. And so there's nobody to take care of Dodgy. 
And so I drove to Jonesboro and took her to the doctor, and uh, she had both pneumonia and the flu. And they wouldn't put her in the hospital. I stood in the, in the doctor's, in the, way, in the, the exam room, I said, are you serious? That, are, she's 84 years old and has pneumonia and the flu, and you won't put her in the hospital? The doctor doesn't feel like she needs it. So, well, there was no way I was going to drop, drop Dodgy off at her house. She was so weak. So she's been at my house all week long. And I have been, I have been like a crack addict on airborne vitamins trying to make sure I don't <laughs> catch this stuff. I hope that's not offensive to anybody. But I've been popping vitamins like crazy and praying with every one of them. So please pray for me. <clears throat> I believe I'm strong. I believe my immunity is strong. And I believe the healing presence of the Lord is strong on Dodgy to get her strengthened enough to be able to go back home. So uh, just pray I don't get sick. Will you do that for me this week? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Um, this is number two this morning in a series that we started December 31st last Sunday called Divine Connections. And just to give you a one-sentence synopsis of last Sunday, make sure you're connected to Jesus because a faulty connection means power failure. Say that with me. Make sure you're connected to Jesus because a faulty connection means power failure. I think about three of you got that. The rest of the crowd, join us this time. Make sure you're connected to Jesus because a faulty connection means power failure. So number two this morning in this series called Divine Connections is called Add to Your Faith. This is the title of the message of this morning, Add to Your Faith. This comes from a passage out of the second epistle of Peter. He wrote to the church. It's a general epistle, different from the Pauline epistles, those 14, 13 that Paul wrote. If you count Hebrews 14, I, I count Hebrews as Pauline. We don't really know. I don't want to chase that rabbit. But Peter wrote two here. So his second epistle begins this way. This is our text. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one, capital O. What's his name? Jesus. The one, Jesus, who invited us to God. Everybody say Jesus. All right. The best invitation we ever received. We were also given absolutely terrific, say it, promises. Every song we sang this morning spoke about promises. And I love that because the praise team had no idea where I was going in this series this morning and that I would choose as a springboard text 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-11. through 11. The King James says that we have been given exceeding great and precious promises that by these we, by, we might be made partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's how King Jimmy said it. Let's get the message. It says, We were also given absolutely terrific promises to pass on to you your tickets to participation in the life of God after you turned your back on a world corrupted by lust. Are you still with me? Say amen. We've got a little bit to read this morning. Next. So don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given. Say it with me. Build on what you've been given. He says, don't waste any time, don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given, complimenting. Now notice the spelling. This is not, hey, you look great. I like your hair. Hey, that's a sharp suit, brother. That's a great dress, honey, your wife. This is not a C-O-M-P-L-I compliment. This is a C-O-M-P-L-E, complete. This is a completing compliment. 
It says, complement your basic faith. The King James says, add to your faith. Say it with me. Add to your faith. Complementing your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness, and generous love. King James says, brotherly love. Each dimension fitting into and developing the others. I want you to go back and let's get every word that is emboldened. There are eight things total. Faith is number one. Let's get, go through the list. Here we go. Faith, character, understanding, discipline, patience, wonder, friendliness, and love. So we're talking about when we step into a relationship with Jesus Christ based upon our faith alone, by His grace alone, in Christ alone, established and substantiated by the Word of God alone, to the glory of God alone, those are the five banner cries of the Reformation, sola fide, faith alone, sola gratia, grace alone, solo, solus Christus, Christ alone, Christ our victor, sola scriptura, the Word of God alone, Soli Dea Gloria, to the glory of God alone. Every one of those things stand, faith apart from works, grace apart from earning any merit, Christ apart from any kind of institutional church or any other means, it's Christ alone, the Word of God alone as opposed to the Word plus the traditions of men, but it's the Word alone. And then all of that is to the glory of God alone. I don't get any glory in it, it is to God be the glory alone. Come on somebody. Jonah, the book of the Old Testament, the book of Jonah says salvation is of the Lord. That means you didn't save yourself. We are not our own messiahs. Uh, uh, entrance into heaven is not a self-improvement system of advice. That's what religion offers. But we preach not the, the advice of religion, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the word gospel means good news. Good news is something, it's a record, it's a declaration of something that has already happened. And it's not just news, but it's Good news. Everybody say good news. So the gospel is Jesus Christ has come to save sinners. Paul the Apostle said, of which I am the, the, the chief. If he can save me, he can save anybody else. In other words, is what he's saying. So he says, now that you've come to him, I want you to add to your faith. Okay? So when we come to God... We are immediately, there is a point in time, like a, if, you put a, if I could draw a diagram of the Christian life, it would be two dots at opposing ends, polarized apart from each other, and then a line of continuum. The entrance would be justification. In a moment you are saved by grace through faith. And then you begin after justification to walk a life of being made into the image of Jesus, and that's called sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. Okay, everybody wants to be justified. Not a lot of folk want to be sanctified. Okay, but then that line of continuum goes on until another point in time, and that's glorification. I'm thankful that God delivered me from the penalty of sin when I was justified. He's delivering me from the power of sin as I am being sanctified, progressive present tense. And He ultimately will deliver me from the presence of any kind of sin when I see Him face to face and I'm changed into His likeness. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that we shall be like it. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. I forgot the first phrase. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. 
It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Everybody say, as He is. He's in a glorified body. He's in a resurrected body. And so when we see Him, when we behold Him, when we look upon His face, the Bible says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that we will be changed in a Thomas, in the atoms, in this molecular structure. This mortal will put on immortality. This corruptible will put on incorruption. All these gray hairs will disappear. All, all, all this extra fat will go. Praise God. Hallelujah. Man, I'm ready for that day. Glory. Until that day, I'm to not lose a minute building on what I've been given. Everybody say, build on what you've been given. So he says, complement your basic faith with all of these things. He says, with good character, with spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness and generous love, each dimension fitting into and developing the others. Let's go on. With these qualities. Now notice these are not works. These are attitudes or they're qualities of the Christian life. With these qualities active and growing in your lives, no grass will grow under your feet, no day will pass without its reward as you mature in your experience of our Master Jesus. Go on. Without these qualities, you can't see what's right before you, oblivious that your old sinful life has been wiped off the books. Man, that ought to be enough. We can stop right there. and That's enough preaching for the day. What your past is no longer defines you because God expunged it from the record. It has been wiped off the books. It got nailed to the cross, all of the accusations. It was buried in the grave with Jesus and He got up and left it there and came up alive and brought you everlasting life because now you were saved by His death but you're now saved by His life. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give Him praise. Go on. So friends, confirm God's invitation. Say that with me. Confirm God's invitation to you. His choice of you. He says, God has chosen you. Now, will you RSVP? How many of you have ever received an invitation to a party? Maybe a couple's shower for someone who's getting married. Maybe a, a dinner party. Maybe a function of an organization that you're in. And in order to plan and prepare for the food and the people that are going to be there, many times they will include an RSVP, a, a stamped, self-addressed envelope for you to be able to check and say, yes, I will gladly, fortunately, uh, I can come. No, I cannot. This is the same way in the kingdom of God. God offers an invitation to the party, to a new heaven and a new earth where you will enjoy a new body. Hallelujah. He says, this is the invitation to the party that I'm throwing and I ask you to give me the courtesy of an RSVP. Will you confirm my invitation to you? Don't wait for it. He says, do it now. Don't put it off. Let's read on. Do this and you'll have your life on a firm footing. The streets paved and the way wide open into the eternal kingdom of our Master and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer, please. God, thank you for this time together this morning as we open our hearts. I just thank you for your love and your blessing upon us. I ask you for healing, for dodgy. Lord, for those of us in this room who might be battling some kind of health issue, or Lord, those with, that are at home, I pray that you touch and heal them. Thank you, Jesus, that you're not only Savior and provider, but you're also healer. We look to you. 
And I ask you today that as I open my mouth that you would cause your thoughts to be my thoughts. Lord, that I would speak the oracles of God and that the people would hear and respond and receive and they would respond, si vous plaît. They would confirm God's invitation into their hearts. Let us be careful to give you all the praise for it's all for your glory in Jesus' name that we pray and God's people said, Amen. One thing I want to give you this morning in this message I always have a one-thing concept that I'll weave throughout the message because I want you to have a takeaway. Thursday afternoon, this next week, when all the excitement of being together with the people of God and the, the goosebumps that you felt during the worship and the excitement that you may get from, if I can humbly request the Lord to help me to bring that today, the stirring that you felt in your soul, the decision that you make at the close of this service, the, the glow fuzz the excitement may have worn off later in this week when you're in your cubicle at work or you're under the pressure of a deadline or maybe a spouse that's a little short with you or a child that you're about ready to kill. Not literally, but you know if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. In those moments, you don't feel so sanctified. And I just I want to remind you in those moments that this, this one thing can come up out of your spirit and God can strengthen you. He can bring refreshing to you. This is the one thing we'll be singing the chorus of through this message, the song today that we bring. The kingdom of God requires faith that takes action, that endures, and is motivated by love. If you would look at that and say it out loud with me, please, here we go. Like you mean it. The kingdom of God requires faith that takes action, that endures, and is motivated by love. Say it like you mean it. Come on. The kingdom of God requires faith that takes action and that endures and that is motivated by love. Number one of add to your faith this morning. Faith without works is dead. How many of you heard that? If you've grown up in church, you've heard that. You know this appears in the New Testament book of James, the brother of the Lord Jesus, natural brother. And James becomes a significant leader in the church when we look to Acts chapter 15. He stands up in the midst of a conflict and a controversy and he brings the lasting word that settles it. He was the, the leader, the pastor, kind of the bishop, the overseer of the first church in Jerusalem. And so James writes a short little five-chapter general epistle to the whole church. It was um, controversial during the time of the Reformation. When we had been a thousand years in the dark ages and faith had gotten confused with a system of earning God's favor, working our way into heaven, it was for a season faith plus works. It had been established by the tradition of the Holy Mother Church. And God raised up a German monk by the name of Martin Luther who began to burn with, with a sense of the, the prophetic fire of God because he saw out of the book of Habakkuk, Galatians, Romans, and Hebrews, the scriptures said that the just shall live by faith. It didn't say they live by faith and works, but it said the just shall live by faith. And so he gave us this phrase I'm about to share with you, because Luther really struggled with whether or not the book of James even belonged in the canon. The canon is not a gun that shoots big iron balls. But the canon of scripture, C-A-N-O-N, one N, C-A-N, not C-E-N-N, like a cannon that fires on a battlefield of artillery. But the canon is a collection of books. So the Bible is called a canon. And though we are a spirit-filled, 
charismatic church that believes in the function and the move of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruit being grown among the people. We believe in a closed canon of Scripture. I believe that all that's been said in the way of revelation that has been penned to paper given by prophets and apostles has been given to us in the Word of God and it's to become our plumb line by which we judge everything else in life. All the Bible for all of life. I believe that any other kind of gift of the Spirit, a prophetic word, a discerning of spirits, an unction of the Holy One, an inward witness, some kind of leading of the Lord always comes in line with what God's already revealed according to His Word. Somebody say amen. Now, uh, Luther argued for a season that James didn't even belong in the book because of the phrases that I'm going to read to you out of James 2 this morning because it's a little bit confusing. And so with that in mind, I'm going to give you his quote so that when we get there, it'll start to make sense. Luther said this. He said, we are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone. Y'all still with me? Let me get it to you one more time. We are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone. Okay, let's get to the text and it'll, it'll make sense in a moment. So, faith without works is dead, James 2, verses 14 through 20. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? In other words, it's just a bunch of small talk, just chit-chat. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Now this is what's confusing. Faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, when we interpret Scripture, it is critical that we never isolate a text apart from the rest or the whole of the Bible. If you've ever gone to Bible school or taken any kind of Bible study in preparation for learning how to read the Bible and understand what it says, we understand that context is critical. I learned this in Bible school. A text without a context is a pretext. And if you have a pretext, you can cherry pick a portion of Scripture and separate it from all the rest of it and you can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. But when you look at a text within the context of that chapter, that chapter within that book, that book within that covenant, whether it's New Covenant or Old Covenant, and that inside the whole of the Bible, the whole counsel of the Word of God, Acts chapter 20, Paul said, I've not failed to bring to you the whole counsel of God's Word. When we look at it in light of the rest of all the Bible and we let Scripture interpret Scripture, then we realize that this passage here in James is not saying that you have to have faith in God and also work your way into heaven because the rest of Scripture doesn't say that at all. And so it's from this that Luther finally broke open and he understood what was being said. We are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone. Saving faith will bear the fruit of good deeds. Saving faith is the root of your salvation. Works are the fruit of your salvation. Do you see the difference? Okay, so you have to have the root alive and in the ground and connected. The title of this series is called Divine Connections. It's your faith that presses into God, that believes into Him and trusts in Him, relies upon Him, 
And it's more than just believing that Jesus was a historical figure who lived and died. And, and, and you might even say, yes, he, he claimed to be the Savior of the world. Look at this. He says, now someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. So faith is the root Good deeds or works are the fruit. They spring out of faith that has already saved me. Now out of a gratitude for what God has already done, I demonstrate my faith by good works. Not to earn God's favor because I've already got that. He's my father, I'm his child. But I do it to demonstrate to the world my love for God. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. He didn't say let your light so shine so that you can get saved in the end. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. He says, you say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Dilly dilly. I got your attention, didn't I? You've seen that commercial. You've seen that commercial. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. Okay, so what? You believe that Jesus really was a person who was born on the planet? Hooey for you. Dilly dilly. Big deal. The devils even believe that. Just because you mentally assent to the fact that Jesus came and lived and breathed, maybe even lived a perfect sinless life and died and maybe even believe He rose again. But if you have never believed into Him, if you have never laid back in the lap of the promises of God for your life. If you've never said, God, I rely on you. I lean into you. I put my trust in you. I, I ask you to save me, oh God, not on my own merit or my own works, but based on what you have already done, the race you've already run and won, the works you've already accomplished, the perfection that you already live, the law of God that you've already kept every jottle Every tit, every, mercy Jesus, help me. Every jot and every tittle. <laughs> How foolish. <laughs> How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. So what was our, what was our one thing? The kingdom of God requires faith that takes action that endures and is motivated by love. So everybody say, faith takes action. Number two, are you ready? You get anything out of this? Number two, inheriting the promises requires faith and what? Patience. Man, I, I wish the Bible didn't say that. I, I could preach all day long and just not even have to even mention this part. I wish it wasn't even in there. Dear friends, even though we are talking this way, we really don't believe it applies to you. What is he talking this way? I've got to give you about eight verses of context here. He's talking about folks who start out and then they drop off and actually violently, vehemently turn against God and then want to make it okay by the Scripture. says you can't do that because you crucify the Son of God afresh. And he says, you know what? He says, I don't think that this is even talking about you. He says, we're confident that you are meant for better things. Everybody say better things. He says, things that come with salvation. King James, King James says, things that accompany salvation. All right? Verse 10, for God is not unjust. He will not forgive how hard you have worked for Him. 
and how you have shown your love to Him by caring for other believers. Those are your good deeds, your good works. You're demonstrating. God's not unjust. He's not going to forget about it. He's not going to forgive those coat drives and those kids that you put a warm coat on every December here and you've given your money so that we could do that and reach out and minister to people in the, in, in the city and the community. And I know that there were people in line who really didn't deserve one, but let's not, let's not get all caught up in that because let's, let's just remember that we're sitting here this morning in the favor of God and not one of us deserves that. I mean, if, if we're going to vet every person that we bless... Did, did God take you through this heavy vetting system of going, okay, I haven't decided whether I'm going to put my favor on you or not, whether you deserve it. Let's just clear the slate. Ain't nobody in the room deserves God's favor. I don't deserve it. I deserve a sinner's hell. But I'm so grateful that He poured it out on me when I didn't even know what was being poured out on me. Our great desire is that you keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. He says, then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Battery on my Jeep wouldn't turn over here a while back. And I popped the hood on the Jeep and I looked at the battery cables and the posts on the battery and it was just gunk. Just, I mean, you know, I, I'm not a mechanic. I don't, I don't ever pop that hood unless I have to. I drive it in somewhere and let somebody else look up under that thing. I, I don't know what I'm even looking at. Uh, you know, when I go buy a car, I'll kick the tires and they raise the hood and I go, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> Give me the key. Does it turn over when I turn it on? But I did have at least sense enough to look at the battery. And so I, I went and got pliers and a screwdriver and disconnected it. And, and oh boy, is right. And I remember one time my daddy pouring a Coca-Cola over the battery and I said, okay, I'm going to try this. So sure enough, and that thing that I drank every day ate that stuff off that battery. And I'm going, Lord, help me. And then I wiped it off and got all the sticky off and reconnected it and it turns right over. There was a disconnection. Remember, we need to make sure we're plugged into Jesus because a faulty connection means a power failure. Your Jeep won't start. My battery had become spiritually dull and indifferent. Our lives can get gunked up with bitterness and unforgiveness and unconfessed sin and attitudes. Don't even look at me like you're above that. I just want to stand up here in the front and confess to you. I have to get under the shower of the Word on a regular basis and let the water of the Word wash that mess off of me. The grime of life, the offense of dealing with people. If it was just me and Jesus, we would do just fine. But it's all the rest of y'all I have to deal with. Can we just tell the truth around here? Don't even look at me like that. And it ain't even me. It's the people in your house you're living with that causes you the most trouble. Come on, they're the real proof of your Christianity. Do you, are you sanctified? <laughs> Hallelujah. You feel real good now, but you wait till about 3 o'clock this afternoon. Your sanctification gets tested. And I just confess to you right now, there's been a couple of times over the lives of raising my children that I lost my sanctification in dealing with them and then had to go back and say, I'm sorry I said a word I shouldn't have said. Please forgive me. You're a preacher. You're not supposed to do that. No, I'm a person. I'm a human. I'm a human slap being is what I am. And I'm not God. And I'm thankful for that. And everybody else in the room ought to be thankful that I'm not God as well. Because I'm really thankful none of y'all are. 
Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who, go, who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. Oh, if it would have just stopped with because of your faith. Because, man, I can believe hard and long. But it's when I have to endure when I don't feel like it. I, I, I called Dodgy and she was wheezing. And I said, Dodgy, I'm coming over. I'm going to get you and we're going to go to the doctor's office. Well, I don't have an appointment. I don't care. We'll, we'll camp out. We went into this lovely new office and we sat there. And you know what? They had us back in the waiting room. I mean, in the waiting room, we, we weren't there five minutes. And I thought, oh, man, this is great. Praise, glory be to God. Five minutes and we're in the exam room. Four and a half hours later, I had run the batteries down on every electronic device that I owned. I had gone back to the car and charged up because I'm sitting there and bless her little heart. She said, I just want to get in the floor and lay down. She had pneumonia and the flu. And I'm propping her up. And y'all, it's a, I'm surprised I have skin on my hands this week because I've washed my hands so much. So I just want to tell you right now, forgive me, but I won't be at the door shaking hands. I, I believe they're clean but don't want to pass anything along. So, please continue to pray for me, even as I've asked you. And so I'm sitting there, and we're waiting, 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 and we're waiting. Anticipation is making me wait. I'm dating myself by those words. Only about half of you know that remember that song from the 70s. It's worse than the Heinz commercial, waiting for the ketchup to roll out of it. Remember that? And they finally... Show up. Finally show up and then run some tests and realize that what we're up against. And they wouldn't put her in the hospital. I said, y'all outside your mind. So I brought her home with me. And I'm just thinking about, that was just four and a half hours. In the middle of it, it was just excruciating. You know, when you're sitting in a waiting room and you're among a bunch of people you don't know and it's just, oh gosh. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Patience is like paper thin. And... I want you to get this. Look what he said. He says, verse 13, he says, I don't think this is on your notes. I think I stopped with 12. Just listen. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name saying, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Verse 14. Verse 15. Listen. Then Abraham waited patiently. I don't like that. Abraham waited patiently. He got in the waiting room and God gave him a promise in five minutes. But then 25 years later, listen to this. It says, and he received, then Abraham waited patiently and he received what God had promised. If you have a Bible that you can write in, if you're holding a, a paper and ink copy, or if you have... Um, Bible Gateway app on your phone or maybe version, and you can insert a note. In between verses 14 and 15, I would like for you to put a note. Just write it in the margin of your paper Bible or write a note in your electronic version of Scripture. Write 25 years. Are you hearing me this morning? 25 years. It wasn't just faith in the moment. It wasn't just when you heard the promise, but there was something Abraham had to add to his faith. Good character and spiritual understanding and alert discipline and reverent awe and, 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 and open friendliness and generous love and all of these things he had to build on what had been given to him. And the one I left out is the one that's here. Patient endurance. 
passionate patience is what the text said that we read this morning. 25 years. And it's not about just sitting idle. So, so many times people read, wait on the Lord, and they think it's just sit down. And, and, and it's just so, this, is, this is because faith is not just about easy believism. In this process of life, this, this process of sanctification, everybody say, trust the process. Because some of you are in the middle of things right now that you don't realize it, but you're in them because God has answered your prayer. You've asked for a heart for God, and so God fixes circumstances so that you have to lean into Him and put your trust in Him. I don't know about you, but when I don't know where my next meal comes from, I'm a way better prayer warrior than I am when I've got a bank account that's bulging. Now, I don't believe that's the way God wants us to live. I think if we'll faithfully steward and learn how to always keep our trust in God and make wise decisions that are based on the kingdom principles that God has given us in the Word, I can have a bulging bank account all the while knowing that my, hope, my faith and my trust is totally in the Lord and not what I have been able to build. Come on, somebody. Because poverty is a spirit that has to be broken before you break the circumstances of poverty. That's, that's another message. It's about active waiting. You'll leave this service today and you'll go to a restaurant and a waiter or a waitress will come wait on you. And they're not just standing there. They're serving you. It's an active waiting. You are participating in something that, that, that requires some action. Faith requires action and once you get into action, it requires endurance over a passionate, patient period of time. Moses, from the time he got a revelation that God had called him to be a deliverer till the time he actually went back to Egypt and did it was in a 40-year span. Because it took that long to, for God to work out of Moses his own trust and his own ingenuity and his own ability. He had to be exiled on the back of the desert for 40 years after he quickly killed an Egyptian who was hurting one of his fellow Hebrew brothers. I just want to say to you this morning that, that there's always a distance between the promise and the provision David got the anointing, the oil, the horn of oil was poured on him to become the king of Israel. But from the time he was anointed till the time he was appointed to sit on the throne, there was a 13-year span and a whole lot of running in and out of caves from Saul. From the time that Joseph had a dream, two of them, and he shared it with his family that God was going to cause him to be a ruler in the kingdom. From the time he got that dream until the time he actually sat on the throne of Egypt as the number two in command, the prime minister over all the banks of Egypt, was a 13-year span. Whether it's 13 years in the life of Joseph or David or 25 in the life of Abraham before Isaac's born or 40 before Moses actually delivers one Israelite soul from bondage. Our faith has to learn how to endure. We need, the, the Greek word, I'm not going to give you a Greek lesson, but the word literally means to be long in spirit. To be long in heart, especially with the offenses of others. Are, are you long in spirit this morning? Can you endure? It's one thing to have faith in God. It's another thing to take action and demonstrate. It's another thing to endure even when you don't feel like it. When you don't want to follow up with your commitment to serve on a serve team and get up even when you don't feel like it. Now, if you're sick and you've got a fever, stay home. We'll, we'll get somebody else to step in and help you out. But don't just stay home just because you decided you want to watch something on TV and don't follow through with your commitment. We need you. We're, we're a team. When, when someone's not here, we're, we, we feel like we're hobbling and we're having to kind of help fill in the gaps. 
God's called us to serve and to serve, to actively wait and to serve the kingdom of God, to serve each other. Somebody say amen. The kingdom of God requires faith that takes action, that endures and is motivated by love. Last point and I'm finished. Kingdom of faith can never be disconnected from love. Love is the motivation. Love is the intention. Love is the why. Love is why we do what we do. Kingdom faith can never be disconnected from love. Remember, our, our, our one thing basically says the kingdom of God requires faith that takes action, that endures, and is motivated by love. Two verses from Galatians 5, and I'm finished. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. There's the waiting. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. We spent nine weeks on that in Galatians, so we're not going to go back. The critical thought is the last sentence. Say it out loud with me. It's emboldened. Say it. Here we go. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Pastor Jeremy, would you bring me that? My Acme sermon kit, sermon illustration kit here. Y'all remember Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner? Remember Wiley always was trying to get the Roadrunner and he would send off and there would come a box that would be delivered out there in the middle of the desert and he would say, Acme Dynamite Company, you remember? I really thought this morning about putting Acme sermon illustrations on that. And I've, that's so dated. Oh my gosh, I grew up when we actually had cartoons. They don't have not even cartoons on Saturday morning anymore. Because they have a whole channel, I guess, now, whatever. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Faith without love is just selfish positivity. It's the human potential movement. It's, it's basically taking advice and sort of picking yourself up by your own bootstraps. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 13, If I have faith that moves mountains and no love for others, then I am nothing. Your faith accounts for nothing when it's not expressed in love, when that's not the motivation behind it. So let me open up my Acme Sermon Illustrator kit here. And I've got some things that I want to show you for a few moments. See if I can find. Y'all doing okay out there? Patient, that's right. Who said that? Everybody see what I have here? In my hand I have. All right, nice extension cord. I'm going to plug it in here on the platform. And I just want to say to you that my illustration is about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is the power source. He was unreachable. There was a gap, a chasm between man and God. We were dead in spiritual sin. We're not drowning in an ocean and God throws us a life raft while we struggle to keep ourselves alive. That, that reeks of man's works. No. We were dead, breathless, lifeless in the grave. Everybody say dry bones. Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were dead in trespasses and sins and God made us alive in Christ. God made us alive in Christ. He breathed life into our spiritual deadness. And the way He did that was He dropped from heaven 
an extension cord. The extension cord is a picture of who Jesus is because it is through His life that we have connection to the power of the ultimate power source, better and greater than any nuclear generator could ever be. Jesus is our connection to GE, General Electric Power Company, except God is the heavenly power maker. And so He's the source and He drops down the incarnation. The Word becomes flesh and we see something visible. Even though, now no, no illustration is perfect because it is limited, it is finite, and we are describing infinite, eternal things, ultimate things. And so it, no matter how great an illustration is, it will always fall flat at some point if you stretch it out far enough because this is actually a creation of man that I'm using here to show you. But even that is so beautiful because we are called, stamped with the Imago Dei, the image of God. He is our creator. We are the creation. But we have His image and His, to some extent, that creative spark on the inside of us because some man or woman had an idea. And the beauty of this is, is that God who is our ultimate creator who in His creation made everything out of nothing what we do is not anywhere near the scale of His because we take the resources that He's already made and we make something different. He is really the true creator. We are just into the formation business. For somebody to have an idea and reach into the invisible realm of all the resources of the Garden of Eden that God has given to us on this planet and then take those things and manufacture them and create something that will be able to carry this raw force called electricity that somebody discovered by holding a kite in the wind with a key on the end of it several hundred years ago. But this is a picture of Jesus because it is an extension from heaven to earth. And you can know when there's power running because there's a light on. Can you see the little light there? See the little light in the end of it? And so there's an open opportunity. This is the invitation that Jesus brings to every one of us this morning. Make sure you're plugged into Jesus because a faulty connection means power failure. So I want to show you what I believe every one of us is like, that we are created and made. I believe that every one of us has great potential not only to carry and be conduits of power ourselves and to bless others, but we're worthless unless we're plugged into the source. Because God the Father is the source of power. Jesus is our connection. He's our extension cord. And the power that's actually running through the cord, the raw power, is the power of the Holy Spirit. And so here, that Holy Spirit power comes to us through the life and the ministry, the visible life and ministry of Jesus. And I recognize my need. I know that I have potential, but I'm dead in sin until something comes along and the Spirit of God grabs me and takes hold of me. And now the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now dwelling in my mortal body. Are you with me? But can you see what's wrong with this power strip? Well, it's not on, okay, let's, let's turn it on. But can you see what's in all the sockets? Can you see all those little things? You see those? You see those? Those are actually, are, some of them are 30 years old because those plugged up the holes when Drew was running around my house. I cleaned out my junk drawer this week. Everybody's got one. Don't even try to be holy with me. You know you've got one. 
you walk in the kitchen and you take something apart and you don't know what you do with it, so you just slide that junk drawer open, throw it in there and slam that drunk door for another day. Hallelujah. Glory to God. With the intention that you'll finally organize all that in that junk drawer. And this is what I believe happens when we come to Christ. We are so self-absorbed. Oh, we're so excited that Jesus has saved our soul and He's blessing us. And I actually prayed a prayer and He answered it. And I got a new job. Oh my goodness, I got a promotion. The Lord delivered me from, a, from an addiction and he's, he's, he's made my wife love me again. And our marriage is put back together. And it's just so self-consumed and selfish. Oh, I've got faith. And oh yes, I've even begun to put it into action. And maybe I've had a little bit of endurance as I've learned to walk with the Lord. But until I recognize that I've got to open myself and have a life that is open to let others draw from me and get plugged into me. Now, let me just say this. This is an example that can go, go bad at any moment. You can just plug everything in. And you know what? You can be doing just fine so long as you honor your connection to the Lord. But you get this thing all loaded up and you're not spending time in the Word. You're not praying. You're just you're so consumed with the work of God that you forget about the God of the work. And before you know it, just the vibration of life is kind of... You're still hanging in there. I'm not questioning your salvation. If you died right now, you'd go to heaven. But you're sure not, sure not walking in joy and there's not a whole lot of power happening in your life. And everybody's drawing from you and you're starting to feel burned out. Why is it that when folks start to get burned out, the first place they look to quit is church? Oh, I just can't keep this commitment. I'm just so tired. Well, yeah, baby, let me tell you, your hour of serving on Sunday morning ain't what's wearing you out. Now, about a dozen of you have said amen to that. Some of you are under conviction because you know I'm talking to you. And I don't have anybody in mind, but if the shoe fits, bless God, get up and walk around in the spare shoes. I'm telling you the truth. It's what's going on the other 167 hours a week that's wearing you out. Why is it you want to cut off something that can be a source of life to you? Get your carcass and your blessed assurance up off your seat and get plugged back into the things of God. Everybody needs a break. I went to New York City and I didn't go to church on Sunday morning. Oh my gosh. First of all, just let me say, I've spent more time in church than probably the most of y'all put together. Preach more sermons. I, I stayed at home. I opened my Bible. I read, prayed. Abby and I prayed together. We had a wonderful time in New York City. Um, it isn't all about what's going on down here, but you can't stay away from down here forever and keep yourself really connected to the joy and the things of God that accompany salvation, the stuff that comes with salvation. Oh, I'm preaching so good right now. Hallelujah. And you know what? Until you realize that this is not just about you and how you can be blessed and you can, can pull open and, and be willing to give a little bit of your time and be willing to serve on a team and show up and actually do it with a good heart and a good attitude and your smile turned on, you don't realize how many people are watching your life and are plugging in to the fact that you've gone through hell this year and you haven't quit because you wouldn't quit and you kept enduring and because your love for Jesus kept getting you up out of bed when you didn't feel like it. Kept going back to work. Kept loving your wife and kept loving your children. Folks around you, are they're not plugged into Jesus yet, but they're drawing a little bit of current off of what they see you doing in your life and, and they saw that you did it in faith without whining or complaining about it. 
And some of them have been watching long enough that they've shown up and started coming to church with you. And yes, the object is not to get them plugged into you, but ultimately to get them plugged into Jesus Himself. But sometimes if you don't make room, if you don't scoot over in your seat and make room in your life for others that are needy, if you don't learn to have a long in the spirit attitude toward people that offend you, Come on, if anybody deserved to be offended, it was Jesus who hung on a cross and was spat upon and lied about. And if anybody had the right to just say, Psst, it was him, but he didn't. I don't have this in my notes, but I'm going to stop and read it, and I'm, this is where I'm going to quit. Come on, Ray, where are you? Hebrews 12. It says, do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way. All these veterans who are cheering us on. He's talking about being in, literally encircled around amphitheater about by all the great cloud of witnesses, the saints who have gone before us. They're watching us run the race now. He says, it means that we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Look at your neighbor right now and say, get plugged in. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how He did it because He never lost sight of where He was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. That's the endurance. And here comes the reason why. Cross, shame, whatever, and now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again. Go. I remember my, remember my little boy Drew would tell him Bible stories at night before we go to bed. He would get in the bed big eyed and he'd say, tell it again, Papa ran right across my brain right then. Tell it again, Papa. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again. Item by item. That long litany of hostility that he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. I, I, I believe... With all of my heart, you've stepped into the clinic this morning and I've given you a spiritual cocktail shot. Some of you have been down this week and this is a fresh start. And you've gotten disconnected. Not, you hadn't lost your salvation, but just, just all of the, the rumbling and the rattling of traveling life has sort of loosened things up. And maybe you've become spiritually dull and indifferent. Or maybe the, the posts on your battery have gotten all corroded with, with, forgive, with unforgiveness and unconfessed sin and bitterness and, and offense and frustration and all of this stuff that happens just in life, just as we're going through this process called sanctification. I just want to say to you right now, in this moment, let's remember all that He endured. We will never, ever, ever endure anything to the degree that He did for us. So we stop and we, that's why we tell the story again. And we sing this song one more time. And we stir up your pure mind by way of remembrance is what Peter said. 
to help you remember that if you can just hear this thing one more time and go over it item by item, there's something about it. It just shoots adrenaline into your soul. You, you, you've had pain in your knee and I've given you a steroid shot and all of a sudden you can move it. And you can get up and walk again. And so this is wonderful. Everybody's charged. The presence of God is in this room right now. But we're about to get up and walk out of here. And Thursday afternoon, you'll remember what was here, but you're living there. That's when you have to remember to keep your eyes on Jesus and let it once again shoot adrenaline into your souls. Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer.